I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So today's interview is with Todd Minerson. He is the executive director of the White Ribbon. It's the world's largest effort of men and boys to end men's violence against women. He's also the CEO of Parker P Consulting, and that's a, that's a social enterprise that's owned by White Ribbon. So really interesting stuff that comes out of this. So you're gonna you're gonna love Todd. Uh, we we talk a, a lot about uh, gender and about what it means to be masculine, men's understanding of masculinity. We talk about attitudes and, and behaviors and about fatherhood. Both Todd and I are young fathers. We talk, talk a lot about uh, stereotypes and, and about why, you know, Todd, why Todd was wearing a pink shirt for the interview. We talk about uh, gender tests for films and, and this idea of calling out versus calling in. Uh, Todd talks a great deal uh, about uh, his mentor uh, and the founder, uh, Jack Layton, and, and who said that you got to have a dream that's going to last longer than your lifetime. Lots here for everyone. And like I say, I think you're going to enjoy uh, Todd and, and what he has to say. Check them out online. Uh, White Ribbon, uh, Todd Menderson, the executive director, coming up shortly. DavidPeckLive.com for more information about my writing and my other podcasting. And do stay tuned. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by another very special guest uh, today. Coming up on 200 interviews, I think, actually, on Face to Face. So pretty excited about that. Todd Minerson here is here with us today. He's the executive director of White Ribbon and the new CEO of Parker P Consulting, I believe. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Yeah. So, 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 I'm going to confess right now. Todd and I do know each other. We have met. Uh, Todd has been into my class a couple of times, I think, at Humber College mm-hmm. to speak to my students, and I've just found out that they've been pestering him for the last couple of years, probably <laughs> looking for work, looking for work, and and looking to change the world, which nice. is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you never want to see people stop having that desire yes, uh, to do that. P. Yeah, exactly. And capital P for passion. Yes, there you go. Yeah, cool. So 
What is white ribbon? How about we just start there and, yeah. and let's talk about uh, some of the, the thinking around it. How did it start, your passion and so on. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, white ribbon is a Canadian-based NGO. It started in 1991 as a result of a traumatic incident here in Canada that we call the Montreal Massacre, which many people will probably remember uh, for having 14 women uh, murdered at Ecole uh, Polytechnique in Montreal. And a small group of guys, including uh, the late Jack Layton, came together here in Toronto and said, you know, there has to be a role and a responsibility for men to work to end violence against women and girls. And in 1991, they came up with the, the symbol and the pledge we still use today, which is to never commit, condone, or remain silent about violence against women. And, you know, in 25 years, we've grown from a, a volunteer-driven annual awareness campaign here in Canada to a global movement of men and boys, probably the largest movement of men and boys in the world, working to end gender-based violence with uh, activities in over 70 countries around the world. And uh, far from a once-a-year awareness campaign, we're doing this work you know, 24-7, 365 days a year across a whole spectrum of different kinds of projects and and interventions. So is it, a, is it about changing hearts and minds really? I mean obviously there's education, there's empowerment here. Um, uh, this is around the world too, isn't yeah. it? This is yeah. not just about in a Canadian context. No, it's definitely around the world. It's, 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 it's for sure about changing hearts and minds in, in the way we think about changing attitudes and behaviors of men. Uh, transitioning from uh, a narrative that says you're just part of the problem to one that you're part of the solution. But it's also about challenging and changing the systems that perpetuate uh, gender-based violence. So, you know, if there's two, if there's two bedrocks for our work with men and boys, one is the promotion of gender equality, and if we we look at you know issues of inequality for for women and girls around the world, the experience of violence is is on the tragic and traumatic end of that spectrum of inequality still. And the other so kind of... So, so equality is directly connected, or gender inequality is directly connected in your mind to violence. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we can look at it from two angles, that particular aspect. We can say, you know, if we look around the world where there's reduced incidences of violence against women and girls, it's places where all other gender equality indicators are really high, mm. right? So where women are doing better economically, where they have more access to political and, and economic decision-making, um, there's... there's less violence. It's one of the only correlations that we can find around the world. But also... I was reading, I was reading an article uh, uh, in the paper about a Syrian family who had, had been, come over, a refugee family, who are now, you know, obviously getting used to a whole new culture and right. so on and so forth. And there was a line in the article, very long, it might have been a New York Times piece, uh, a little line about how, something about how men do things differently. And, and the implication <laughs> was, I immediately saw the guy, some family they were visiting was washing dishes or something. Right. And so they're having to get used to that sort of that new culture, uh, that gender sort of based uh, approach. Right, right. Or right. That, that hopefully is rooted in equality. I'm not always sure that it is, but... Well, that's what we have to work towards, right? Mm -hmm. And we know making the connection between inequality, uh, whether it's lack of decision-making power or <clears throat> political representation, even to the kinds of language that we use sometimes is linked directly to physical and sexual violence at the other end of that spectrum. So that, that's one aspect, but the main thing that we actually work on is try to work on men's own understanding of masculinity and hmm. you know what, what takes <clears throat> an innocent uh, 
three, four-year-old boy to an adult who may choose to use violence against women. Something happens in that time. And for us, it's these harmful and sometimes violent ideas of masculinity that can contribute to you know, uh, that transition for a young man to, no, no, nobody's born a rapist, nobody's born an abuser, but there are you know, social norms, social conditioning around masculinity that so for you, that's clear, move it along right? the that, way. That it's not a genetic thing, it's not, this is something, this is nurture, this is not nature, this is, or, or would you say? If we exclude like the psychopaths and the sociopaths right, of the world, right, right. yeah. Right. I mean, we know of egalitarian so, so societies. So Donald Trump's not a part of this conversation? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to be careful about that. <laughs> I right. lost the crowd the other day because I made a Trump joke. Oh, come on. Seriously? Uh, oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that Can was, you tell the joke now? Well, no, it was off the cuff. It was <laughs> oh. nothing. But a few people afterwards said, hey, we're uh, Trump supporters. So you lost me there. Wow. So very interesting. Oh, interesting. Now, Just Canadians keep politics at it. Canadians. Interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe once we turn the recorder off, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, uh, th there are things that happen to young men, and we know there are societies around the world that don't have gender-based violence. We look at traditional mm -hmm. indigenous cultures, for example. You know, they, they didn't have words for rape. They didn't have mm -hmm. words for violence against women. They, they didn't have that kind of gender imbalance and that kind of harmful masculinity that contributes to it today so we know that there are examples so this isn't just utopian there. thinking no yeah yeah no we know and the evidence based around preventing gender-based violence tells us this too we, we know that if men have better um, attitudes around equality around respect around consent that they're less likely to perpetrate um, violence against women so is it is it is it, is it um hmm and, and I'm not trying to sort of polarize the conversation because mm -hmm. it's got to be complex, right? And it's never an either or, it seems to me, in development and with, when it comes to these kinds of issues. Very systemic, very connected, everything, right, matters. Yeah. You know, you're not going to just blame video games. You're not going to just blame film. You're not going to, you know, hold uh, 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 journalists uh, responsible for what they report on, right? Is Where does that kind of thinking sort of begin? You Great know? question. Is it, is, it, is it at home? I'm going to send you an image of a, of a slide that I use. It's an actual exercise we do in a classroom, and it was an exercise we did with some grade six boys. And we call it the man box. And so we, we start with a blank chalkboard, and we write the words real man on the top. And this is grade six boys. So, hmm. you know, we have kids around this age, right? They're 11, 12 years old. Yep. Um, and we ask them, you know, what does it mean to you to be a real man? What do you call it again? The real man box exercise? Yeah, yeah. the man box exercise. The man box exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a campaign of a sort. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like and so, you know, we ask them what it means to be a real man. In the space of 10 minutes, they can fill up that chalkboard. Strong, aggressive, tough, have to like sports. Um, you're the payer. You have a bad reputation. You know. Drinks. Export ale. Yeah, you know, all uh, unfortunately, they go to a lot of the negative expectations mm -hmm. about what it means to be a real mm -hmm. man. That gives us an opportunity to discuss why there aren't more positive things. It gives us an opportunity to discuss: um, is this the narrative? Is this the story that you're told about what it means to be a man at age 11, 12 years old? But then we also ask them a couple of other questions, key questions. One is, what happens to you if you can't meet up to these expectations? And these young men are very quickly able to identify isolation, teasing, bullying, harassment. Um, we see them identifying homophobia there, not as a tool for um, 
discrimination against gays and lesbians and transgender people, but as a tool for policing masculinity, right? So if you're not man enough, you're a wimp, you're a fag, my, my you're a son, sissy. My, my son, 10, came home, uh, used the word fag in, con in, con like in context. What does that mean? In a conversation with me and mm -hmm. kind of saying, Dad, what's this all about sort of? And I, my response was, I smiled and I said, Spencer, I can't even believe that's still being used. I mean, that was, you know, 40 years ago when I was growing up right. in grade school, grade <clears throat> four, five, and six. And we're 40 years later, and it's kind of like the old jokes where you see your daughter playing a game on the street with her friends, and you go, oh, yeah, we used to play that, yeah. right? And you go, we haven't moved on from that? It's a powerful tool to control masculinity as well as a discriminatory, discriminatory tool mm -hmm. against, against um, LGBT folks, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the chalkboard, we asked them, so where does this come from, guys? Mm -hmm. You're not born like this. And they, to your question, are able to say it comes from school, media, parents, family, religion, uh, work, economy, yeah. um, cartoons, violence, you know, you name it, right? So from a very early age, we're, we're conditioning our children by gender, and they know it. That's the takeaway here. They know it, and they understand it. And when we work with young men and boys to unpack and critically think about some of those things, it's amazing how they can then turn it around and say, yeah, I don't want to be part of this system because actually now I can see not only how it harms the women and girls in my life, but also how it harms us as men and boys. So are we talking about things like um, as simple as boys not being allowed to wear certain colors, uh, play with certain toys? As I mean, simple as that, as think about um, boys don't cry, right. man up, tough man it up, out. Just, and this is your, to your earlier <laughs> comment about language. Yeah. Deeply ideological, right? Deeply all these influential. Things, all these things influence now, Todd, isn't it, our, it's our not, boys. It's not the one-offs either, is it? It's the cumulative nature of all this and how, so it's not just about the fact that you maybe play a violent video game necessarily, but when you combine that with all these other things connected into our culture, it starts to take a real effect. For sure, and those cumulative effects are what we call the social norms, right? So here's here's an example. This, this cannot be attributed to one single thing, but think about the different language that we use around promiscuity, for example, right? So what do we call a young man who has lots of girlfriends? Mm -hmm. We call him a stud, a player. We, we celebrate it almost, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that mm -hmm. adds to his credibility in terms of his gender well, it's identification. A, it's, and it's expected. It really is expected, isn't it? In, in, in and men lie about it to make that expectation seem mm -hmm. you know, more, more um, credible. Right. What do we say about young women who have right. multiple partners, right. Right? right? There's a very different categorization, slut, whore, like yeah, very yeah. negative. Yeah, incredibly negative. Right? Yeah. So none, neither of those things are have a singular cause, but it is that cumulative effect that makes them into the powerful social norms that they are, and that then contribute to this condition where some men think it's okay to use violence against women. So we're trying to unpack, unravel, dissect, yeah. um, dissipate, eradicate, all of that, all of that business. So, and that's the work so that we're doing. Can we, before, I, lots, so much to talk about. But, yeah. but, but the, the violence thing really is kind of interesting to me because there are, I would imagine, billions, billions, maybe, hundreds of millions of men who aren't taking it to that next. So they're probably sexists. And I mean, they're, they're, they, their ideas about women are, are flawed and so on and so forth, and yet they're not crossing that line into violence. Why not? What, is, it, is it there's, you know, there's a small portion of it's the population? It's a really great question. I think 
There, there definitely are a vast majority of men who are never going to use violence. Yeah. There's a lesser majority of men who don't participate in sexist language or activities. There's an even lesser proportion of men who actively work to eliminate some of those I, things. My right? father wouldn't have probably let me wear a pink shirt. Right. Right. But I don't think he would have ever been violent. To, right. I mean, right. That's right. A bit right. Of a right. Leap, obviously. Yeah. And we're having a bit of fun here with this thought experiment. As I sit in my pink shirt. <laughs> that's right. Yes. For the listeners. That's right. Excellent. Nice yeah. work. Um, no, I you mean. You did that on purpose. <laughs> my, you know, my, my father would be of the same generation, right? But, he, for example, while my father would never have used violence ever against my mother, they have a beautiful relationship. Um, my father would hold these kinds of beliefs. I remember this conversation distinctly with him. You know, I, I asked him one time when I started this work, like, he had very um, stereotypical assumptions about who the kinds of men were that perpetrated violence against women. And I said to him, where do you think the most dangerous place to send your daughter is? And so first he thought of a lot of local things in Toronto, like, um, you know, neighborhoods that don't have great reputations and things like right. that. Then I was like, nope, nope, nope. And then he thought about different parts of the world. And uh, when, when I finally told him the answer was actually the most dangerous place to send her daughter is university. Right. Uh, where she has, you know, a one in four chance of being sexually assaulted. Um, and it must be all those immigrant, low-income, uneducated men at universities that are perpetrating this kind of violence. He was shocked, right? And it really rattled his cage around thinking about this, this issue just mostly because most men have never, we take our privilege for granted, right? And we don't really critically look at the, the systemic kind of fear and, and conditions that women have to live under. And so par part of our task is unraveling all of these ideas around masculinity. Part of our task is getting men activated in the promotion of gender equality. And part of our task is raising awareness that it's still a problem and you can be part of the solution, even if you're not part of the problem. And we're, we, we know there's a whole bunch of good men that are stuck in a bad system. You know, a system that still uh, perpetrates dis disproportionate amounts of violence against women and girls, and also gives us as men and boys a lot of privilege. But if we really critically look at it, it's also costing us a lot. It's costing us in how, you know, not only just the pink shirt kind of examples, but the kinds of roles we can play, the kinds of emotional literacy we have in our lives, the kinds of relationships we can have with other men, the ability to ask for help, the unhealthy um, coping mechanisms that men adopt in their lives, the unhealthy risk-taking uh, activities that men undertake in our lives. You know, all of these things are the downside of this, uh, what we call so, toxic so masculinity here, as well. A, maybe a leap, but here's the irony for me. Men want to be accepted. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We all want to be included. We all want to be embraced. Sounds like the opening line for a book. But anyway, <laughs> our lines. I really truly believe that. Yeah. And I think we're all struggling in one way or another to find our way back home, as crazy and corny as that may sound. And so what men are really desiring is this camaraderie and commiseration and so on, which they sort of maybe get through these more unhealthy approaches. And yet, I believe from uh, the... The way I've tried to live my life in an authentic way, for the most part, with others and with other men, it actually is way more satisfying in the sense of you walk away from hanging out, playing a game of pool, or going to see a film, or a great conversation, going, wow, that was awesome. And you don't, it's not like you have this shock of recognition and you say, wow, that was awesome. I truly believe you're a better person for that. Yeah. Right? And that's, 
where we need to get. So it's a real, it's a horrible paradox. Yeah, totally. Horrible paradox because it's so divisive and it's just so cliche. You know, well, and let's it, go out drinking tonight and not talk about our feelings. <laughs> you know, no, guys, go out drinking and talk about your feelings. Uh, well, you know? absolutely. I mean, I, how, where, where are we permitted to be vulnerable with each other, right? And where are we permitted to have those kinds of conversations? Um, we're not in a lot of spaces, mm -hmm. and so, uh, but that's where the richness of life comes from. Real, real human connection comes from, right? And so many of us are told it's okay to have that in a romantic relationship, usually a heterosexual right. kind of relationship. Right. And, right. and even many of us as men work hard and you know, have to acknowledge that probably our partners do a lot of the emotional labor <laughs> in, in right. relationships right. Um, to do that. The other place we're allowed to do it is with our kids, right? right? right. And you know, for us, fatherhood is a great entry point for talking to men about new ideas and masculinity. I mean, we've both talked about our fathers, and I'm suspecting that we both had, you know, pretty, pretty easy going upbringings and pretty comfortable upbringings with them. But I don't know a person my age, in their 40s, for example, who has kids under the age of 15, who doesn't want to do fathering differently than mm. their father did it, no matter right. how great their right. relationship Which was. Which has got to be dad. a pretty great sign to an organization like yours. That is where we see hope and an yeah. entry point and, and, a, and a place for change. You know, uh, if, if there's a guy out there who has a daughter and a son and the daughter says, I want to play hockey, I don't know a guy now is not going to say, oh, hockey's not for girls. Right, right, right. This, right. Is, the, this is the tip of the edge of, of social change around gender equality, right? This guy may not realize exactly yet that he's a champion for, for gender yes, equality yes, just by doing yes. what seems natural yeah, yeah, exactly. for his daughter. But we're trying to help men understand that, yeah, that's the start. Now let's like really figure out how so you can do that. Can you, can you sit through a family Christmas dinner and somebody says something that's a little troubling to you <laughs> from a gender perspective and let it go and let it slide? Uh, my, fa my family is on point now. They don't, they, <laughs> they're, this 10 years in this work, they're, they're all good. But I can tell you a funny story of when, when I first started this work, you know, I, I referenced the pledge earlier on to never commit, condone, or remain silent about violence against women, right? I took this job and I just started playing hockey again with some of my university friends. Mm -hmm. uh, after kind of 10 or 11 years of, of not really hanging out very closely with them, we decided to form this hockey team. And it was early days. And so I still felt like my position in this group was vulnerable and I may not be able to stick with the team and all this kind of stuff. And I'm doing up my skates one day in the dressing room and somebody made a pretty awful um, rape joke. Ooh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, I felt this rush of redness from my toes, up my legs, out the follicles of my hair. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do now? I just took this job, this pledge. I can't be silent. I don't get kicked off this team. They're going to hate me. I'm never going to play again. I suck at hockey anyway. Like, all this stuff was going through <laughs> my head in a millisecond. And I thought down. I said something eloquent like, you know, and I kept my head really low when I said this. I said, that's not funny. I was you, as you eloquent untying, as I could get up. You were untying your skates at yeah, that point. Yeah, I kept the head that. low down yeah. by the skates so yeah, they wouldn't really even be sure funny. where it's coming from. And, <laughs> and, and it was, that's not funny. And the joke stopped. It was fine. I still play hockey with them 10 years later. Uh, but the interesting thing happened after we got out of the, the dressing room and we're walking through the parking lot. Two other guys came up to me and said, I'm glad you said something. I didn't know what to say. It was a crappy joke. It made me feel uncomfortable. Um, but thanks for saying something, right? So I think 
you know, and to this point earlier about the, the quote-unquote good guys that are out there, I think there's a lot out there. I think they don't know what to do. I think they've never had those kinds of role models. I think there's a fear of getting it wrong. I think there's a, there's a, a sense amongst some men that gender still isn't really an issue that men should be leading on, but women should be, mm. even in, a, mm. even in a, a benevolent way. Like, it's not my, it's not my role, it's not my right. obligation. Right. Not necessarily right. in like, it's women's work. You know, even in a benevolent way to say, I don't, I don't feel comfortable taking a lead here. But what we've got to have men understand that gender is dynamic, it's relational. It's not just about women, it's not just about men. It's about the relation we have between each other and moving it more towards equality means as men, we've got to step up and, and make that comment in the dressing room and, and be a part of that change. And I guarantee you it's hard, but the first time is the hardest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And you'll always find other guys that are appreciative of it. Well, I think that kind of goes back to the point I was trying to make earlier, but we all, re we all truly just want to be included. Yeah. And so I think there is a fear there. And so when somebody speaks up, there's almost a, hmm, a fellowship of a sort because I've been in situations like that where people have said after a talk, or, wow, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So like, and, and I know there are lots of us around where things like that have happened. Teachers that we've had in the yeah. past, you know, uh, a public speaker who says something that, you know, that, that really needed to be said, that, that spoke about the, uh, that elephant in the room or that untruth, right? And, this back and to those school kids, too, right? They identify mm -hmm. what happens to yeah. you if you can't yeah. fit into these, this dominant narrative of masculinity. They can identify where it comes from. But we haven't done a great job is giving them a new place to coalesce right, around. Right, right. Right, a new place to feel part of a community. And, and like f that father who promotes his daughter playing hockey, the guys in my dressing room, the people that come up after a talk and, and hear these things, they're craving that. They want that. They don't, they, they at a certain level know what harm these stereotypical ideas of masculinity are costing all of us. But we haven't done a great job of creating that alternative where out does, there in um, the world. Where does Hollywood fit into this for you? And oh, Hollywood is like, yeah. it just means <laughs> media, basically, doesn't it? They, I think they sometimes take unfair criticism. Yeah. But at the same time, they are you know, the purveyors of ideas and uh, uh, ways of seeing. It's, gr it's a great question. It's like that, you know, it's like your earlier point. You can't, you, you can, it's easy to identify those singular incidences, like the musician who's been charged with abusing his partner or something or the right. really misogynist lyrics or the awful movies but it's really that cumulative effect again right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, of everything that's out there and there's this there's this double whammy of a so much of our socialization comes from popular media uh, and b so much of it is based on kind of crass capitalism yes. that we've yeah. lost what used to be the purpose of art and literature and music, which was to kind of get to some of those complex things, and it's really been dumbed down to like what's going to sell the most Pepsi, right? Well, it's been dumbed down to lifestyle advertising, sadly. It, exactly. Right? And, and the, the lines have been crossed in so many ways, right? And art is about mystery and imagination, not about selling goods. Yeah. Right. I mean. So this is this is a big problem, and you can't you can't turn that around individually either. But what we like to do is look for ways. First of all, to be critically analytical about it. So, you know, one one great example is in film. Um, there's a mechanism called the Bechdel test. Have you heard of this? I don't think so. No. It's a way to understand kind of gender roles How in do you spell movies. Bechdel. B e c h d e l. Hmm. 
and it, it's a way like it, I don't remember it exactly, so bear with me. But mm -hmm. it's like how many female characters are there? How many conversations right. Right. amongst female characters only? Right. What right. kinds of roles did they play? And there's about four things you can measure, right, in a film, hmm. and. It, does it pass the Bechdel test right. or not, right? right. Is right. it just this right. token, you know, insertion of women into so it? let me guess, the Fast and Furious films do not <laughs> pass this test. Well, unfortunately, most movies, even some that we think are quite progressive, don't actually pass it, and the bar is not very high, right? right. It's not right. exactly as right. a, a really yeah, and the idea excruciating is not test to, to pass. And the idea is not to reduce something so complex and so nuanced and relational to numbers, but the idea is to say, here's at least a way to say, okay, we're not even coming close. Right, and let's look at some of our unconscious bias around right. these things, right? right. We right. think we're doing an equitable job, but if we actually break it down on these four factors, it's not close, right? right? right. The other thing that we look for, in addition to these ideas to kind of be more critically aware of, of media, is these amazing examples of artists who already are. So everybody in Canada would know A Tribe Called Red, right? This amazing indigenous uh, electronic hip-hop band, right? They're just, they're unbelievable in the things that they do in terms of um, merging new, creative, bold music with really traditional sounds and, and stories and songs and meaningful, deep kind of stuff. So there's a, the, the, one of the main guys is called DJ Indian. He's also a DJ in clubs around the world. And just about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, he said, I am going to make a conscious effort to not play any music from this point on that has misogynist lyrics or hmm. content in it. Hmm. So he is showing the way uh, right. to be more critically aware of these things and well, to put it into where, action. I think you know, people, uh, hey, listen, I'm a huge U2 fan. In fact, I interviewed somebody yesterday who's writing a book about U2 and their, their mediated brand is the subtitle. Uh, so I had a great time on this interview yesterday. But, but people like Bono and folks that are speaking up, they take a lot of criticism for some of those things sometimes because of the inconsistencies and the paradoxes that seem to exist maybe in their life. But at the same time, they are, um, I think, shifting the conversation, right? And they've got a platform. And so this this DJ has this opportunity, right, to, to speak new language into yeah. it and to show that there is a, maybe a better way, right, to, to, to do what he does. Whenever you put yourself out there, you're going to be a lightning rod. Um, because there is still so much resistance and, and opposition to some of these things. Yep. And, you know, as people that are interested in this kind of work, whether it be human rights or social justice or unpacking privilege or anything, we always have to be open to feedback and critique. Yeah. You know, we're never done learning and growing. Well, that's, I think, the thing that for me is so important. Change has got to be incremental. It's got to be splash and ripple and but you got to be open and hope's got to be at the core and at the center and if you lose that you're probably not going to be believing in too much social change no it's going to be coming right no way yeah yeah i was uh, listening to somebody recently talking about falling forward thought it was a, you know it's a phrase i've heard before but it hit me in a new way right it's great you're taking risks you're making mistakes but you're gonna you're gonna keep moving forward yeah. right you're stepping ahead we also um you know, people are probably familiar with calling out stuff, right? Yes. Like calling out racist comments or sexist yeah. comments. Kind of what you did when you were tying your skates. Right, except, you know, I could have been a bit more bold about <laughs> it. <laughs> we, we, we also embrace this idea of now calling in, mm. right? Mm. So, hey, uh, I heard you made that joke in the locker room. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what exactly you think is funny about it and if you're aware of the kinds of, hurt that it might be causing people 
um, and the kinds of stereotypes it might perpetuate, Redefining right? Redefining shame. Right. Well, it's yeah, it, yeah. but it's not it's not just shame. It's yeah. like I know this guy, and I and I know I know his family, and I know he's a good dad, and I know he's not likely to ever use violence. But d could he connect the dots between? Yeah. yeah that man-up culture and just making that joke in a locker room to those well, things. And what's interesting about that is there are comics who might use a joke like that from the stage, might get criticized for it, but would then argue in an interview, well, hang on, I'm calling this out. Yeah. That's what I'm actually trying to do by saying, right? So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a weird one, but I'm not suggesting for a second that that's happening in most locker rooms or yeah. in, in, in most bars on a late yeah, no, but Friday this night. like, but but calling in is another way to kind of say to people like, tell tell me what you think is funny about yeah, that. Like, I'm good. I don't I'm not I don't find it funny, and I'm trying to figure out why. Yeah, yeah. You well, do. that's about conversation, about dialogue, and about being, I hope, transparent and authentic. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, which is what you guys are really all about. Um, so tell me more about White Ribbon and and Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, and you've got a new consulting social enterprise you're working. I mean, things seem. I mean going pretty well around here. We're, Ribbon, we're, we're, we're busy. The ribbons, by the way. I'm <laughs> sitting in the boardroom and there are no damn white ribbons. What's There's a high-heeled shoe over there and oh, we'll, get, there? we'll oh. get you one. We'll get you one there on your you way go. out. Maybe we should get a photo of you with the, uh, with the, with the shoes Sure, on. sure. I'm sure you have a photo. I do, I do. Okay. I have, my, my son says uh, in the car, Daddy, are those your work shoes? And I'm like, yes, they are, son. Yes, they are. Um, you know, things are great at White Ribbon. We're very busy. It's... Uh, it's a combination of you know 25 years of of, of hard work and also uh, a changing the changing times we're in. You know, you can't open the news these days without uh, a new and different incident of uh, unfortunately violence against women and high profile ones at that over the last little while. But in a way, as sad as it is that it takes those high profile incidents, the conversations are changing, right? And and the tone is changing, and, and the uh, impetus to do things has changed. So, you know, we, we run about five or six uh, project-specific uh, initiatives here funded from different levels of government on sexual violence prevention and working with the education sector, and uh, a project called It Starts With You, It Stays With Him, which was about how men can play an active role in the lives of young men around promoting gender equality and respect. But we're also doing some work around growing and strengthening the evidence base for prevention work with mm. men and boys. Mm. So we've, we're, we're uh, working on a national community of practice with about nine organizations across Canada, uh, developing tools and toolkits for best practices and communities that want to do this work. Um, we're also increasingly trying to engage uh, non-traditional partners mm. in right. this change. And so we've been working with the private sector in a number of spaces. We've been working with a mining company for the last four years around how to develop gen community-based, gender-based violence prevention responses in those communities where they work. And those were three three-year projects in Papua New Guinea, Nevada, and Zambia that showed great potential not only for how a company can invest in prevention in those communities, but how it can really make a difference in a way that no other institution could intervene in those places. And a lot of people believe that uh, development really, you know, the future of development is going to have to be about that coming together, the ecology of commerce, which I often talk about, Paul Hawkins' phrase, the mm -hmm. coming together of that sort of development and aid sector with the corporate capitalistic sector, sector that says, 
we can kind of do this together by changing the tone of the conversation and yeah. doing things just a little bit differently. Not only do it together, but um, help private sector come to the space where they understand that it's part of their social license to operate. Well, why it's, can't it be best practice? It, and and right? where it's good business. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing that moves the decision makers in those spaces. But, you know, the saying, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth mm. a pound of cure. You know, companies are learning the hard way if they don't right. do meaningful work around issues like gender-based violence. When they do have an incident, uh, it costs is not not only financial but reputational, well, I'd, and I'd like shareholder, think, and, all, and so on. Well, and huge community. social implications. Like I'd yeah. like to think our kids are not going to want to work for that company. Yeah. Right. And I think that is coming. Retention right? uh, yeah. and yeah. and recruitment of staff, employment, employee engagement and happiness, all of those things, increasingly add to that business case for, for doing this kind of stuff and doing it right, not you know moving beyond the PR campaign, and into meaningful partnership development work, uh, and, and and policy level change, and so to that end, we've just launched a for-profit social enterprise wholly owned by White Ribbon called Parker P. Consulting. And we're working with private sector, with post-secondary institutions, with legacy institutions like the armed forces and police forces to look at really how to do deep culture change around gender equality and engaging men and making their, their workplaces not only safer for women but more inclusive and more equitable and better for men as well. It's, uh, I, I love the fact that you guys are growing. I love the fact that there seems to be a, a, an ethos of hope. Yeah. You know, that, that you know, you're smiling. You know, <laughs> like, what, what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And I think I sort of know the answer to that, but I guess maybe the, the, the other side of that uh, coin, uh, and I don't really believe in the two-sided coin, that yeah, yeah. by the way, but what is it that you see as a, hmm, a wedge, a, 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 other than, I guess, culture <laughs> and the violence itself, what's getting in the way of getting this work done? Uh, and I think the follow-up is, are you out of a job one day? <laughs> well, um, you know, we joke around here, that's our, that's our mission is to yeah. put ourselves out of work. Um, we also, you know, f from our, my mentor, Jack Layton, and, you know, one of the conversations, one of the last conversations I had with him before he died, I was expressing my frustration with him, like, Jack, it's just such a huge job. How are we ever going to get there? And he said to me, you know, you've got to have a dream that's going to last longer than your lifetime mm. or else you're not working on the really important issues. So, you know, unfortunately, this may last longer than my lifetime. I'll be very happy to put myself out of work in this line of work uh, anytime in the near future. Um, and And the progress, the partnerships, the willingness to do the meaningful work is what gets me out of bed in the morning the barriers the wedges the things that are still in the way you know unfortunately there's still a lot of lack of awareness around the issue of violence against women the scope a lot of people feel like oh we're done with that like we don't have that issue here anymore right, right? like <laughs> right we've solved that yeah problem. like right. this is still a problem right not right. for me um right. the the uh the other kinds of barriers, challenges are helping men see the role they can play, helping change this dynamic from one of uh, apathy or othering the situation to, you know, it's not me, it's those guys 
go talk to them to, it may be those guys, but I can help change things. And, and, you know, we constantly struggle with how to get men activated on this. There's a mm-hmm. long list of things that get in the way of that, of, you know, lack of involvement or mobilization or, you know, community work for men in general, challenging our own privilege, the, the lack of role models in it. So th- that, that for us is, is really one of the hugest barriers. But the hope comes from working with these young guys who are doing the chalkboard exercise, right, you know. Right. They get it. And once you help them see oh, this is, the world yeah. that way, they yeah. don't go back. They the can't look back. Moments, right? Yeah. That's kind of the stuff that gets you going. I remember having a instru- uh, professor at York, uh, social me- mass media and ideology. He looked like Karl Marx. And, um, and I remember asking him after a class once, you know, how, you know it seems like you've got a, a very, I don't know, disinterested bunch in the class. And I was riveted. Three-hour lectures just nonstop. Probably too much for most, but I loved it. <laughs> I ate it up. And he said, listen, if I get through to a couple people in a class, that's I've learned. It's taken me years to learn that you, you land a couple. Right. right. You connect with a couple and you've kind of done your job. And it's a hard, it's hard lesson, I think, right? Because I don't know about you, but I want to change the world. But, I'm, you know, even, you know, as lofty and crazy and, and, and moronic almost in some respects that is, you realize that it's the little, it is the little things, man. It's the, it's the taking time with your kids. It's, it's reflecting. It's, it's, it's shaking a hand well. Yeah. It's, it's making eye contact, smiling. I mean, simple, silly. Speaking stuff. up in that locker room. Exactly. Right. That, that is going to change the world. And you got to believe. I love Leighton's comment. Yeah. You gotta have a dream that's gonna last long. Otherwise, I and mean, that's all hope driven, right? Yeah. So we need to we need to wrap it up sadly, and we're gonna have to do a part two. <laughs> uh, that is my. I'm getting a T-shirt made up by the way that says we're gonna have to do a part two because I just I <laughs> to be just, continued. I don't, I don't like ending these conversations. <laughs> I hate it, but we've gotta we've gotta shut it down sure. somewhere. The go train ride is only so long, right? <laughs> um, the the most important question though I, I've been dying to ask you is what color of high heels do you prefer to wear? Oh well, see, I have two. I have okay. I have the bright red um, six-inch stilettos for our Walk a Mile in Her Shoes event, and I use those for all my media engagements. It's <laughs> kind of with our logo and such. But I have calluses on your feet. Well, no, but I've gotten wise. I've gotten wise. My actual walk day boots are a pair of uh, knee-high silver glam boots. <laughs> Think Bowie seventy-four. Funny. And uh, kiss maybe? they have maybe some kiss, maybe some Paul Stanley yeah, yeah. in there, but they have a nice wide heel and a nice wide toe. So I can actually wear them the whole day and run around and, and do my thing at our event. And, and real quick, this is a fundraising event you guys do annually. That's that's right. Yeah. A lot of it's our biggest uh, fundraising and awareness event. We hold it in May uh, every year. And uh, we had 700 plus guys wow. walking through downtown Toronto in high heels to raise awareness for ending violence against women. I want to see the video on that. So that gives me hope too. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> uh, Todd Minerson, he's the executive director of White Ribbon. Check them out online, whiteribbon.ca. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, uh, you'll learn more there. Thanks a lot, Todd, for your candor and your, your uh, yeah, your insight. Really Thanks, David. It. Yeah. Congrats on 200 interviews and yeah. look forward to part you two. Too, Mike. <laughs>
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.